Um, I think I probably grew up with that song, um, but never kind of heard it sung quite that way. So thank you, Warren, and worship team, Warren and Joan and Art. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, Noah shared with me when he was in the hospital um, in preparation for surgery, he said that he did not feel in any way nervous. He did not feel in any way scared. He actually felt, and these are his words, he said, I felt excited and I felt at peace. And I think those are pretty sweet words for somebody who's heading into neck surgery. And uh, so I know probably there are people that miss Noah at the hospital. I think he was probably a delightful patient to, to have around and to care for. Um, just so positive and, and thankful. Two weeks ago, I spoke a little bit on the early church, and that the early church was truly a community of faith. And it was a community of faith that stood in contrast to the community, to the world around them. That they were, they became an amazing group of people who sought and looked after each other in a way they did not do prior to coming to faith. That those things that they shared in common in terms of their beliefs, about one God, one Lord and Savior, one church, one baptism, one spirit, that unity that they shared and those things they believed were also demonstrated in the unity that they shared when they met with one another in practical ways. That it was a very unique community of faith. Uh, that Sunday was the Sunday we had sort of sign-up sheets scattered around the gym, encouraging people to serve in this community of faith. And, uh, you know, we had quite a few people put their name on various sheets of paper, and I simply want to say thank you. That is an example of saying, you know, count me in. I'd like to serve the family of God in practical ways. And... Um, I just want to keep that kind of fresh. Um, children's ministry uh, remains an area of our church that we could use a few more bodies who would say, yeah, I'd, I think I could probably handle a group of grade one to three or four to K, something like that. So I just want to keep that in your mind to, to consider that. It wouldn't be every Sunday, maybe once a month. Last week I talked about the fact that the early church identified four things, and maybe Paul identified them, that when they met together, they listened to the apostles' teaching. That's the kind of instruction that they were willing to listen to. It was the teaching of the apostles. It says they met for fellowship, that they found ways to meet together socially, and in those situations, they also encouraged each other's faith. They met for meals. Um, it's fairly significant, and it says not only for the meals, but often in that context, they would also share the Lord's Supper. So in homes, 
and uh, prayer. They were people who were prayerful people who brought their requests to their Heavenly Father. And last week, I, I focused most on the part of God's call or encouragement for us to intentionally gather outside of this Sunday morning. As beautiful as this is and as great as this lunch is going to be, during the week that uh, God asks us to consider ways and reasons and opportunities to meet with each other and just encourage people to do that, whether it was small group related, whether it was saying, you know what, we want to throw our home open for hospitality, just an intentional desire on the part of people of God to gather as people of God. Um, and so some of the things we talked about even this morning, um, men's breakfast is a way to connect and to meet. Um, Good Friends Fellowship, which is on October 12th at the Rudy and Wendy Weins' home, is simply another practical expression of the church gathering and encouraging one another. A newcomer's meal on the 15th, just an opportunity for us to talk to you about who we are as a church, kind of our story, and a chance for you to share a little bit about who you are. Um, so things like fellowship and gathering together, they're, they're kind of down-to-earth expressions of who we are. This morning, I want to talk a little bit about baptism. And this morning, we're also going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. It's interesting that the Christian faith, um, it's almost, I think, sort of Paul's desire for us not to let this feel like just another religion with rituals to follow, things to obey, things that we're supposed to do, things we're not supposed to do, that Paul really spoke about our faith as something that was meant to set us free. And that there are two... Uh, and I don't even like the word rituals, but I'm going to use it. Uh, and so think about it in the right way, not the wrong way. Because we sometimes think about things as empty rituals, like without meaning, without the heart. But in the right heart, in the right way, rituals such as baptism and the Lord's Supper are key to who we are. They are actually expressions of who we are. Um, on a few occasions this Sunday morning, you're going to hear from another voice besides mine, a voice of a fellow named Bruxy Cavey. Some of you may know him. Um, he is a voice that I occasionally listen to, uh, partly because I like the way um, his conversation about the church and the things we do within the church. So um, we'll start with one that's very short. Some of these have a rather abrupt ending and I'm going to apologize for that up front so uh, hopefully you'll that'll be okay so let's take the first one Morley Jesus left his followers rituals to remind them of what's most important in life 
You know, he made us physical beings, and so he uses our body and he uses symbology that we can physically work through in order to remind our hearts, our minds, of what we know to be true. He didn't just make you a disembodied spirit being. He already had those. They're called angels. He gave you a body. He put you into this physical world. And so often we use the physicality of our lives to remind us of spiritual truth. Like with baptism, we are plunged into Christ and we rise to new life. Like the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper, we are remembering what Christ has done for us. And we are with gratitude re-demonstrating our faith to say we embrace that. We welcome you into our lives. This is not creating the reality, but remembering, commemorating, celebrating the reality. As Jesus said at the Last Supper to his disciples, do this in remembrance of me. That's why we do it. Um, this is a bit of an aside, but Bruxy Cavey, you probably noticed on there, it said Bruxy's bag of questions or barbecue. If you go online, he has many conversations about things that sometimes people think about in terms of their Christian faith, and he has kind of just a almost casual conversation about what that means, why do we do it. So I, I'm just saying you might want to check him out. Um, one of the things that Bruxy kind of alluded to in that little clip is that both baptism and communion are not things we do in order to receive something. They are actually things that we practice because we have already received them. They're an outward expression of our faith through Jesus, and these things we do almost as a declaration of, yes, that's who I am. But they are not things that we perform to gain acceptance. They are things that we practice because we have acceptance before God. And it's interesting that they're the only two rituals or ceremonies or sacred things that the Christian church has been asked to continue. The communion is an ongoing reminder that our new life in Jesus exists only because Jesus laid down his life for us. That he took upon himself the cost, the penalty of our sin, the cost and penalty of our rebellion and his re resurrection is that living hope that lives within every one of us who believes. That one day we too will be resurrected. We will share in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so, as Bruxy said, we will continue to take communion until Jesus comes. And so for many people in this church, they've probably said, I have taken communion hundreds and hundreds of times. Baptism, on the other hand, generally happens once. Um, although on occasion there will be times where people actually have requested to be rebaptized. One of those situations is sometimes where people may have been baptized as infants and then become to a personal free will decision to follow Jesus. And they say, you know what, I need to be baptized. And often we say on confession of faith, which an infant really cannot do. And so sometimes there are people who say, you know what, 
I want to be baptized, even though I was baptized as an infant where I really did not know what was going on, I want to be baptized to show that it is a personal decision, my choice to follow after God. There have also been times, even in this church, where we baptize someone um, who was baptized when they were very young. And then I will simply say his life took a significant detour away from God. And he came, and they were part of us for quite a while, and he said, Doug, I would like to be rebaptized. And, you know, that's not a practice that the church generally does, but I could think of no reason to say no. And, and so we, he was baptized here in Woodlake, and really for him it was a reaffirmation of his heart for God. And partly, I think, as a demonstration of the powerful journey he had made from a life that had truly gone sideways to being reclaimed by God. And he said, I want to be baptized as a, I don't know what he was, probably in his 40s. Communion and baptism are not religious rites that save us. They do not make us acceptable to God. They are not the tickets that get us into the kingdom. They're not the tickets that get us into the church. They declare that we already believe. So baptism and communion are, as Bruxy said, physical, symbolic expressions of something that has already happened in our hearts. An acknowledgement of what Jesus has done on my behalf. In Romans 10, it says this, Romans 10, verse 9, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is confessing with your mouth that you are saved. Now, there's lots we could talk about just in that verse alone. But it, to me, when I look at that, it's a willingness to admit, to confess, to declare openly that which has taken place in your heart. So do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Yes, I do. Do you believe that you are a sinner for whom Jesus has died? Say, yes, I do. Do you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. Say, yeah, yes, I do. Those are things that we might say that is our confession, our declaration of faith. And it's interesting, sometimes confessions of faith are written down in words and they're put in books and they're put on shelves and you can look for them. They'll say confession of faith. Baptism, in an amazing way, is like a personal confession 
of faith that you make with your life. These are the things that I believe I want to be baptized. They are simple, but they are profound and powerful expressions of what we believe in our heart. You know, at times I think there, it's possible that people might come through the doors of Creekside Church. They might enjoy the beer. Maybe they meet some friendly people and they say, wow, you know, I kind of like it here. That felt good. I need a bit of spirituality in my life. What do I need to kind of join? How do I sign up? And I would first of all say, if that was people's response to spending some time with us, that would actually be a pretty sweet response. But the church doesn't operate like a fitness club or a golf course or other organizations where you kind of pay your dues, you abide by some rules of the organization, and in exchange you receive the rights and privileges of membership. Church doesn't really work that way. There's not a list that you just simply check off. The church is truly a response to the reality of God and a desire to step into his kingdom. The church as a group really is a people, a community of people who share similar beliefs about who God is, about who we are, and about who Jesus is. People whose hearts, and at times people's mouths, simply declare, that's what I believe. And baptism and communion are two ways we kind of make that statement. That declaration, we make that confession publicly. You might ask, Do I really need to be baptized? Like I believe, do I need to be baptized? And I'll let Bruxy talk for a few more seconds. After John the Baptist, Jesus used baptism as a way of symbolizing that a person can come to him and say, I want to plunge myself into you, into your way of living, into your ethics and into your personhood. I want to come close to you and give you my life. So baptism, the plunging down in, was a way of saying, I am dying to myself. I am getting cleansed by God. And then I am rising again out of the water to a whole new life. It became a physical symbol of something that we believe to be spiritually true, that God is cleansing us. It meant we didn't have to have many baptisms over and over again, but just once to say, God has fully embraced me. And I'm It's an example of an awkward ending. But it's saying that it's a declaration to God. It may be a declaration that you simply are making to those who know you. It's also a declaration you're making to the church. It's, um, when you look in the New Testament, it says Jesus himself was baptized. That John baptized Jesus. And he instructed his disciples in the Great Commission. He said, go 
baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Those are instructions that Jesus gave. So baptism, if he has to really have to, baptism is really a response to what Jesus himself went through. You might say Jesus initiated baptism. And when we decide to get baptized, it is an expression of faith, those things we believe. It is also an expression of obedience, that God, Jesus, has asked us to follow him in baptism. So you might say it's about faith, it's about obedience, it's kind of like faithful obedience to what God has called us to do. Here are a few real simple questions, especially if you're younger, that you might ask. Couldn't my mom or dad, pastor or a friend, baptize me at home or maybe in the lake and kind of keep it more private? You know, there probably are situations where that has happened. Um, I do not know of any offhand where a family has simply baptized their own children, but my guess is it probably has happened, probably for a variety of reasons within church history. But generally, baptism has been something that is celebrated within the context of a church family. You might say as in front of a whole pile of witnesses, you say, I saw that. I saw him dedicate, I saw her dedicate his or her life to Jesus. So it's an outward confession or a statement of faith that not only, I think, strengthens the person who says, I want to be baptized. It's actually one of the rituals within the church that actually strengthens the church. That the church actually gets life as they observe other people and new people become baptized. Here's another question. Why are people literally put under the water? That is kind of the, the format that uh, our church and many churches have adopted. You might ask, are there other options? And... This will be the last little conversation where Bruxy steps in. Is there one biblically correct way to baptize? Should we dip or should we sprinkle? Well, we don't have to look any further than the word itself. The word baptism comes from the Greek word baptizo, which means to plunge into, to plunge under, to dip, to immerse. And so to be baptized is to push oneself into to say, I, I fully immerse myself in the water, which is symbolic of the spirit, of the way of Christ, of the person of Christ. I'm, I receive his cleansing and I rise to new life. Now, ultimately, what's more important than the methodology uh, is the meaning. And so if someone's heart is right and they sprinkle instead of dip, I think God knows their heart and that's a beautiful thing. But if we want to be completely biblically accurate, then I would say plunging into, dipping into is the way. Is there one biblically correct way to baptize? Should we dip? <laughs> In case you needed to hear it again. So it's really the practice of, of many, especially at a Baptist church, is, is we call it immersion. 
that, yes, we dip you under the water. And it really is saying, I, I am dead to my old self. I am dead to my old way of thinking, my own view of life. I am dead to the power and the penalty of sin. And I am raised up out of the water to a new self, new creation, new perspective on life, and a new and glorious hope represented in the resurrection of Jesus, represented in rising out, out of the water. So generally that is what we have done, whether it's in the lake or if we've done them on stage in the theater, um, we immerse people. Sometimes baptism has been referred to as putting on a kingdom jersey. So it's like putting on a jersey for all to see and saying, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of it. I want people to know it. I'm part of the church. I, I actually am joyful about what I have just done. And for a while in Willow Park, that kind of terminology was often used at baptisms about putting on the jersey of a follower of Jesus Christ. In a sense, it's similar to the NHL rookie draft. And you may say this is a horrible illustration, Doug, but bear with me. A player hears his name called. And actually, I actually believe that it is God that calls you and me. Spirit of God speaking into your heart and your mind and your life is actually what draws you to God. The player stands up. Generally, there's family around him and they give mom and dad and others a hug. And they come up to the platform. And the very first thing that happens, somebody from the team gives him a jersey and he puts it on. It's like a declaration. This team wants me. I am part of this team. I'm putting on the jersey for all to see. And I know there are aspects of that analogy that probably don't really fit. But in baptism, you truly are identifying with the kingdom of God. I am a follower of Jesus. Some uh, churches, and Willow Park has done this, create a t-shirt kind of to sort of celebrate that day. Um, and I guess we could produce those if we needed to. But it really is a statement that I'm in. I want to be part of this church. I want to identify publicly as a child of God. Two more questions. What happens during the actual baptism? Will I feel something special? And I want to say that you might. I think it's very true that there are people who have been almost overwhelmed by the significance of baptism. Uh, people who have probably been brought to tears, but they would be tears of joy. People overcome with a sense of thankfulness and gratitude to God. And it may simply be this peace that you have 
knowing that what you have done is what Jesus did and what Jesus has asked us to do, and that Jesus' response to you would be, this is my child, this is my son, this is my daughter in whom I am well pleased. Last question that I'm going to ask. You may have others, but will I be asked some skill-testing questions? You know, I have to admit that when I was, um, I think it was 16, when I was baptized in Chilliwack and Broadway MB Church, and it was a bit of a grueling process. It wasn't as simple as me saying, you know what, I want to be baptized. Uh, I had to come before the church. People asked me very direct and pointed questions, which I, I have no clue what my responses might have been, but they must have been okay. But we don't kind of ask people to go through that kind of a formal grilling. So if you say, are there skill testing questions, I'm going to say, no, there aren't. In fact, if you read the Bible, uh, there is no biblical passage that actually outlines exactly what should we do when somebody is baptized. What words should we say? What questions should we ask? It just said people believed and were baptized. So the only thing we might learn from the Bible is that we often create too big a space between believing and declaring it through baptism. That the church actually, I think, could be encouraged, especially with people who fully are able, they know what they're doing, when they confess faith to simply say, as one person in the Bible said, so then I see water, what's keeping me from being baptized? Here are three questions that are often asked when people are baptized. Because if you've been to baptisms, you maybe have seen people in the baptismal tank. And generally, the pastor or whoever's in the water will ask a few questions. Now, when we had baptism out in the lake, we had to walk so far out into Wood Lake that nobody had a clue what we were saying. So far away. And sometimes now in baptisms, in, uh, even at Willow Park, the band will be playing and you can tell that there is, people are saying something in the baptismal tank, but I have no idea what they're saying because the music is loud. I kind of like it when the church hears the questions and when the person simply responds. So the questions may be as simple as this. Do you acknowledge that you are a sinner? Yes, I do. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died for your sins? Say, yes, I do. Do you, is it your desire to live this new life that you have in Jesus and live in obedience to the voice of God in your life? Say, yes, I do. And then we generally say, well, then it's our privilege to baptize you. In the name of the Father, God. In the name of the Son, Jesus. In the name of the Holy Spirit. And people are dipped under and raised. You may have other questions. Uh, I just thought that, you know, sometimes we save all this kind of stuff for a baptismal class. 
Uh, sometimes I thought in terms of Creekside, it might just be easier to spend a Sunday talking a little bit about baptism. And so I encourage any of you who identify as followers of Jesus, those who have never been baptized, or maybe some who maybe have been baptized as an infant and say, you know what, I'd like to be baptized on my own confession of faith. I simply want to encourage you to think about doing that. If you're young, and there's lots of our young people here today, I would encourage you to have conversations with your mom and dad, have conversations with your youth leaders, talk to Chris. If you want, talk to me. You may have some other questions that you have that we would probably love to answer. And so it's my hope that sometime in the future, whenever that is, that we will celebrate the reality of baptism within Creekside Church. And I don't want people, anybody, to do it as a result of pastoral pressure. That's not, that's not a good incentive. I simply want people to think about it and say, you know what, I need to take that step. I'd like to do that. I'd like to do it in front of the church. And so I kind of look forward to the day when uh, we will have a baptism, hopefully on the stage. I'm hoping we're not too far away from being back in the theater. We do have a portable baptismal tank. It does work. We've used it before. So I want to leave those thoughts, those things in your head this morning um, and encourage you to let God speak to you and let God lead you. Um, this morning, I want to close as a church by having and celebrating the Lord's Supper together. Um, it is the other ritual of the church, an outward demonstration of something that we inwardly believe. It says, this is my body broken for you. This is the new cup in the new covenant, my blood, my life shed for you. So I'm going to ask Warren, if you don't mind coming back up, and Chris, if you don't mind coming. Um, I know we have a fair number of people, but maybe the aisle is wide enough to figure out how to come up and get back to your seat safely. Um, I'll pretend I won't worry about that. I, uh, but I want to pray and then just encourage you, maybe spend a few minutes just in thankfulness to God. Give thanks to him for he is a good, good father. Give thanks to him for his love. Give thanks to him for the sacrifice of Jesus on your behalf. Heavenly Father, we just uh, place ourselves before you within the context of your church. Uh, your church gathered here in Lake Country in this gym, uh, people who declare that you are God, that you are the one and only God, creator of heaven and earth. You are the God that sustains everything that you created. You are the God that calls us to yourself through Jesus Christ. 